In the name of God the Father who creates us, and God the Son who calls us, and God the Holy Spirit who fills us with eternal joy. Amen. Please be seated. I was, um, before I get started, I was saying to the folks at the 8 o'clock service that um, at our staff meeting on Wednesday, I was talking to the staff about the scripture from um, Galatians, and I um, announced that I was going to be preaching on licentiousness. <laughs> to which someone said, Linda, do you know what that means? Well, I won't tell you what I said. Anyway, by the grace of God, and to all of our benefits, I'm not going to talk about licentiousness this morning. You guys have to look it up. Find out for yourself. One of my favorite movies is Sister Act from 1992 with Whoopi Goldberg. Now, if you've not seen the movie, um, it's about a black woman who is a lounge singer, and she's affiliated, affiliated, you know, with the underworld in Las Vegas. Now, she witnesses a murder, and she goes to the police with her information. To keep her safe, the police put her in a witness protection program in a Roman Catholic church where it's her job to, she's supposed to develop a choir using the talents of the Roman Catholic sisters that are in the church. Now, of course, it's a comedy of circumstances that ultimately ends up with the Pope coming to hear this makeshift choir. But the song that I loved best of the movie is their rendition of the 1960s hit, I Will Follow Him. And you, you, you almost have to sing it in order to... But anyway, it goes, I love him, I love him, I love him. And where he goes, follow him wherever he may go. There isn't an ocean too deep, and there isn't a mountain so high. It can keep me away, away from my God. Away from my God. I will follow him. I thought about that as I pondered today's gospel from Luke. The song, the song from Sister Act makes it a statement. But I wonder if we might not ought to consider it a question as well. After all, the statements that Jesus, that Jesus are ma is making are pretty harsh. And we might want to reconsider whether or not we can really say, or maybe I'm talking to myself, I will follow him. Or, will I follow him? Luke's gospel shows us a realistic Jesus, a person who knew the score, if you will, and he was honest and he was straightforward enough to enlighten those who would choose to follow him. And Jesus' disciples and friends have been traveling with him now for almost three years. 
The days are drawing near when he will be taken up, taken up ultimately into heaven in his ascension to the right hand of God, will be his final destination. But here on earth, he will be taken up, won't he? Onto the cross. The passage that we've read today indicates that Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. This phrase, setting his face, is associated with the Old Testament prophets, and it suggests that Jesus' resolution in the face of a pending opposition, he set it, he set the course. He set the course. He chose to make that journey knowing what would be before him. He set his face to Jerusalem, and his actions and his determination and the destination are resolute. Time is perhaps of the essence for him. So he chooses the shortest way to Jerusalem through the hostile country of the Samaritans. He sends some of his followers to go on ahead to prepare for his arrival, but the Samaritans would not receive him. James and John, Jesus' messengers, enter a village of Samaria where they are promptly rebuffed. History records the long-standing tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans, and the fact that Jesus was headed to worship in Jerusalem rather than to worship at the center at Mount Mount Gerizim really upset the Samaritans. It was an insult. Well, James and John weren't labeled the sons of thunder for nothing because they did not receive the message from the Samaritans very well. They expected something different. They expected hospitality. And they wanted to call down a bolt of lightning on those folks to incinerate them, these sons of thunder as was a story, if you look about Elijah, the prophet Elijah, he did the same thing. But Jesus says no. Now is not the time for judgment, but for mercy. And when the judgment does come, it will be at the hands of God, not human hands. Jesus chooses mercy over judgment. Leniency over revenge, and sets his face once again towards Jerusalem. And as the group moves on toward their final destination, we get a very short snippets about three individuals that they encounter. As they continued down the road, someone caught up to them, caught up to Jesus, and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, I like to think. Wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus had said, great, I'm so glad to have you. Join the group. We're on our way. But he doesn't. What does he say? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
not very, that's not really very good sort of, you know, PR for the purpose. Even the animals of creation will have a place to call their own. The Son of Man who is standing there talking to them has not a place to lay his head. What does it mean for someone who is going to follow him? Well, maybe it means that they're not going to have a roof over their heads. It also may mean that the urgency of God's message perhaps will require an itinerant lifestyle. There's a story about a visitor who went to see a famous rabbi and was shocked. The visitor was shocked by the sparseness and the bareness and the emptiness of this one-room house. Why don't you have any furniture? The visitor asked the rabbi. Why don't you? The rabbi responded. Well, the visitor said, well, because I'm only passing through. And the rabbi said, so am I. Jesus' words about home and hearth cuts really close to the heart of our life, at least it does for me. We long, I long, for a sense of security. Our home is a place of refuge, a place of retreat. We, most of us, have a roof. There are many who do not. I don't think that what Jesus is saying necessarily is that we give it all up, unless, of course, our house becomes our God, unless the home we cherish becomes the religion we live, whatever that looks like. The rich young ruler, remember, it wasn't that his riches were bad. That's not the point of the story. It was that the young man couldn't, let, that the young man let them get in the way of his ability to follow Jesus. And then Jesus extends an invitation to someone who's come alongside. And he says two words, follow me. Follow me. That's it. He doesn't say why. Just follow me. I like to imagine that the man standing there sort of thinking, mm, he's considering his options. And he's leaning towards following Jesus, but then he realizes he has obligations to tend to before he can go. The fifth commandment was to honor one's father and mother, and inherent in that commandment was the responsibility to ensure that they were buried properly. The man was doing only what he understood to be within the commandments. And what is Jesus' response? Well, it's not what pastoral care would call warm and fuzzy. Jesus' response is to let the dead bury the dead. Does that strike anybody else besides me as kind of like weird and hurtful? Perhaps it is. But it is evidence, isn't it, of Jesus' singular purpose to the proclamation of the kingdom of God? One cannot do anything about the dead. There is almost this hint of impatience. I wish I, I wish I, I wish I'd have been there so I could have seen Jesus' face. Then I would have known what he was meaning. There's this sense of impatience. We need to get on with the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Be an ambassador. 
for God. Let go of what is gone. Choose life in Jesus. And then there's the third person who comes alongside. I'm ready to follow you, Master, but... (laughs) But, first, excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. That's me. I'm willing to follow you, Jesus, but... I got all this list that I got to get done. If you just give me some time, I'll follow you when everything in my life is in order. I'm not even going to ask if anybody else is like me. Again, Jesus' reaction seems severe. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Ooh, I... Does that mean I'm out? Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is a paraphrase of Scripture, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase of Scripture, states it this way. Jesus said, no procrastination. No backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. No procrastination. Don't look back. Seize the day. This past week, I've been angered. I've been wounded. I've been disgusted. I could go on. But mostly, I'm really, really, really sad with all the political machinations in our country. I'm not a politician. I'm not a scholar. I'm not an orator or a pundit. I, I'm a woman, excuse me, I am a woman who believes that I and all women should have the right to make decisions about our bodies. I am a woman who wants my grandchildren and my great-grandbaby to have protection without warlike guns filling our streets and finding their ways into their school classrooms. I don't want that for my children. I'm a person, maybe just like all of us, who listen to Jesus' words and wonder what would be my answer? What would be my answer to following Jesus? How will I respond to the hate and to the fear-mongering and the evil? What he's saying to us, at least to me today, and I believe that his call is an invitation, endless and unceasing. 
in the Episcopal Church, one way that we hear God's call is through our baptismal covenant. And if ever there was a time to listen and respond, now is the time. Now is the time to seize that day. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? Now that's going to be different from all of us. But that's a question we need to answer and we need to get on with it. We cannot procrastinate any longer. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Can I do that for the man that's holding the gun in my granddaughter's school classroom? Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? How do I do that with the person I am absolutely in a different place from? Now is the time, at least for me, I can no longer procrastinate. I cannot look back. And I have to seize the day. Will I follow him? What seem to be harsh words from Jesus' lips are the reality of what is, part, what is part and parcel of the life of Christ. There are times when it is hard. It is hard right now. There are times when it is complicated. It is complicated. There are times when it is discouraging and painful and impractical. The pastor and novelist Frederick Buechner acknowledges both our hesitancy and and, my friends, our hope, our hope in Jesus, our hope in mercy, our hope in love when we follow Jesus. This is what Beekner says. We can take along with us on this journey to we do not know where. What we must take is the knowledge of our own unendingly ambiguous motives. The voice we hear over our shoulders never says, First, be sure that your motives are pure and selfless, then follow me. If it did, we could none of us follow. So when the voice says, take up your cross and follow me, <laughs> at least part of what is meant by cross, this is a hard one, is our realization that we are seldom any less than nine parts fake. That's real. Don't let that stop you. Don't be stopped by the constraints of forever being practical. I'm not sure what to do or where to go. But I believe the one who set his face to Jerusalem is still with me and with you. The same spirit which anointed Jesus of Nazareth anoints us for wild and highly impractical acts of justice and mercy and love. My friends, the spirit of the Lord is upon us. Today, we are asked to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. I invite you to choose life.
life in Jesus Christ. Amen.